A couple of weeks ago, the Catholic League for Religious and Civil Rights released the results of a poll that the organization recently sponsored. Dr. Bill Donahue, who is the president of the Catholic League and also has his doctorate in sociology, so he's familiar with polls and how they work, he commissioned this study to be done for a reason. It's because he knows that when Pope Francis comes to the United States in a few short days, the news media will do their best, they will do their very best, to put their own spin on the condition of the Church here in the United States of America. That means, of course, in all likelihood, they will put almost their entire focus on those Catholics who disagree with Church teaching and who want Church teaching to change. And the implication will be that the vast majority of Catholic men and women, at least the vast majority of intelligent and enlightened Catholic men and women, think the same way and have the same attitude. Well, Dr. Donahue wanted a more accurate picture of where Catholics are at in our country right now, so he commissioned an accredited polling company to survey 1,000 Catholics nationwide. Some of the results, as reported by Donahue on his website, are as follows. Roughly 68% say that their commitment toward their faith has not been altered in any significant way in the recent past. Those who are the most educated tend to feel the most excited about or committed to their Catholic faith. Those who rarely attend Mass were the least excited. Ninety-five percent of Catholics say that their faith plays a significant role in their everyday lives. It's a good statistic. When it comes to the impact that their faith has on their political decisions, 69% reported that their Catholicism matters. Nearly half of Catholics, 48%, believe that if more people practiced the teachings of the Catholic Church, our society would be better off. Those who attend Mass more than once a week, 72%, are the most likely to agree with this proposition. When asked to identify themselves as either pro-life or pro-choice, 50% said they were pro-life, and 38% said, said they were pro-choice. But it appears that even among those who say they are pro-choice, few are zealots. For example, only 5% said that abortion should be allowed for any reason and at any time. When it comes to marriage, 58% believe it should be between a man and a woman. 38% do not agree. Those from the Northeast are the most liberal on this issue. Interesting. Frequent churchgoers are the most conservative. Toward the end of his analysis, Dr. Donahue writes, the data indicate that Six in ten Catholics want the Church to stay true to its principles. Only 35% want it to conform to modern culture. Again, this suggests that many of those who might differ with the Church on women priests or some other issue also prefer a Church that doesn't change 
with the winds of the dominant culture. It's an interesting survey. There's definitely some very important information in it, especially for those among us who are charged with the religious education of young people, beginning first and foremost with parents. This information should be of interest to you because you are the primary religious educators of your children. But it also is interesting for priests, CCD teachers, religious ed directors, etc. And I say that because the poll clearly shows that there are certain issues on which all too many Catholics have received very poor instruction, very poor catechesis. And that needs to change. But it would be a mistake for us, a mistake for any one of us, to base our faith on the results of a poll. Even a poll like this one by the Catholic League, which yielded some relatively positive results. And that's because polls are an expression of human opinion. And the opinions of human beings are sometimes wrong, dead wrong. In fact, in some cases, the opinion, the shared opinion of the vast majority of human beings on a particular issue is wrong. Case in point, the issue of the identity of Jesus of Nazareth. Today's Gospel story from Mark chapter 8, Jesus asks his disciples for some polling data. It's really what he does here. Some polling data about himself. Of course, he doesn't frame the issue in quite that way. George Gallup and others like him were not around in first century Palestine. But the question Jesus asks is definitely one that modern-day pollsters might ask about a popular but very mysterious person. Who is he? Who, in your estimation, is this mysterious individual? What is his true identity? Well, as we heard a few moments ago, the disciples give Jesus three answers. Number one, John the Baptist. That's what people like Herod Antipas thought. Remember, Scripture tells us that when Herod heard about some of the signs and wonders that Jesus was performing after John the Baptist has died, Herod exclaimed, John, whose head I had cut off, he has been raised up. Number two, Elijah the prophet. Remember, Elijah didn't exit this life as most of us do. He was taken up to heaven on a flaming chariot. And the Jews always believed that Elijah would return when the Messiah, the true Messiah, was about to come. As God said in the book of the prophet Malachi, Now I am sending you Elijah the prophet before the day of the Lord comes, the great and terrible day. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their sons and the hearts of sons to their fathers. So number one, John the Baptist. Number two, Elijah the prophet. Number three, another prophet. Some thought that Jesus was another prophet like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the other great prophets of Israel's history. So there you have three answers, which were probably the top three that would have surfaced 
if a modern-day scientific poll had been conducted in Palestine in 32 or 33 AD. And they were all wrong. Right? Jesus was not a resurrected John the Baptist. He was not Elijah back here on earth. And he was much, much more than a prophet like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, as important as those guys were. And please notice, notice that even Peter, who does get it right when he correctly identifies Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, even he only gets it half right. That's because he didn't understand that the mission of the true Messiah, who was both God and man, was to reconcile the human race to God the Father by his passion and death. Peter, like most Jews of his day, expected the Messiah to be a great military leader who would lead Israel to victory over its enemies and restore the nation to its former greatness, the greatness that it had under King David. And so when Jesus began to speak to Peter and the other disciples about his upcoming suffering and death, Peter lost it. The guy freaked out. He couldn't believe what he was hearing. He probably also had difficulty believing what he was hearing when Jesus called him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. But you see, at that moment, Peter was trying to dissuade Jesus from accomplishing his mission, the mission the Heavenly Father had given him, which is exactly what Satan wanted Peter to do in that situation. Peter was, in, in effect, Satan's mouthpiece at that moment. And that's why Jesus gave him the name. So the bottom line is this. If a poll had been done in the first century in Palestine concerning the identity of Jesus of Nazareth, only one person that we know of would have answered the key polling question correctly. And if a follow-up question had been asked about the kind of Messiah that Jesus was, even Peter would have gotten it wrong. So much for the ability of polling data to reveal the truth. And yet how many people, how many Catholics, do in fact shape their beliefs on various issues these days based on the results of the latest national survey? How many Catholics, for example, are now saying that so-called gay marriage is okay simply because recent polls indicate that the majority of Americans are now saying it's okay, it's acceptable. My brothers and sisters, if what the majority thinks on a particular subject automatically becomes the truth, then there is no truth at least no objective truth. Building your life on polling data is like building your house on shifting sand, which is not a good idea, as some of our friends in Mesquamic had found out a couple of years ago with Hurricane Sandy. We are supposed to build our lives as Catholics, our lives, our viewpoints, our beliefs. We are to build all of those things on the rock-solid foundation of Jesus Christ and the teachings of his Catholic Church, the Church that he himself established. 
which is the church that most of us, perhaps all of us, are blessed, truly blessed, to belong to. And hopefully we understand that, how blessed we are.